Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you are joining me today for another great episode and conversation to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in the world of talent development. And you know, we talk about a lot of different categories around talent development on this show. I know a lot of you are working on lots of different things when it comes to developing your people and even areas around talent management. And certainly you're interested in what are the latest trends that are going on, both within talent development as well as in our work world at a larger scale, at a macro level, especially with things like AI and the economic uh, changes that are going on in the world. We want to be paying attention to those things and how they impact the people in our organizations. And uh, we're going to take a, a deep dive into that today with a recap of one of the most famous conferences and events in the world that addresses a lot of these things. And I'm bringing back a guest that we had on very recently. Dr. Keith Keating is an experienced CLO and head of talent who has worked for and with numerous Fortune 500 companies worldwide. He's the author of The Trusted Learning Advisor, which has been getting rave reviews across the L&D world. So make sure you get your copy now if you don't have one already. A respected industry author and sought-after keynote speaker, Dr. Keating ardently champions lifelong learning as the the pathway to seizing control of one's career trajectory. He's also an advocate for talent development and leverages his platform to emphasize human talent as the cornerstone of organizational success. This is going to be uh, Dr. Keating's second time on the show. Make sure you go back and check out our conversation on episode 452, which came out in December 2023, where we talked all about his book and what we can do in L&D to become a more trusted learning advisor. Since then, Keith has taken on a new role as the Chief Learning Officer of BDO Canada, the first time anyone has held that role, I believe. And he recently traveled to Davos in Switzerland for the World Economic Forum. And I wanted to have him back on to talk about his experience there because I think he went in with eyes open, looking at things both from looking at the trends and also just really being present with the experience as well. So uh, Keith, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. I can't believe you said episode 400 and something. I mean, congratulations yeah. to you for 400 episodes. 452, where we started the show in uh, middle of 2017, where uh, I don't know what that is, uh, coming up on seven years in or something, marching along towards episode 500. Not too many guests we've had back on a second time, but you and I have developed a relationship since uh, you came on the first time in December. We've been talking a bunch, and I know you just came back from this World Economic Forum, which is something I'm really curious about. I heard or read a write-up that you uh, put together about your experience, and uh, I'm really interested to talk with you more about it and share that experience with our listeners, because I think this is something... It's you know this famous event that most people will probably never get a chance to attend, and yet it's it's good to kind of hear about what's going on there and get insights into it. So let's get right into that. Like, how did this come about? How did you end up going and even speaking at the World Economic Forum? Let me preface by saying, uh, I mean, I have imposter syndrome, but I I don't look at it as a bad thing. I love I, I use it as my energy, and and it kind of thrives and drives me. And so, um, like most people, I think the World Economic Forum is just this concept. You know, it's like. Mm -hmm. The, the elite meet and they they run the world and it happens in this little special town in Switzerland. And so to me, I'd never thought that I would ever be there or even be speaking there. 
And an opportunity presented itself. I'm on the board for a company called Ahura AI. It is a fantastic up and coming um, educational use for AI, but I'm not here to sell that service. So that's that's the entrance into how. So they they had a space or a house there, and I'll talk more about what that means in a minute. And my colleague at University of Pennsylvania, Dr. Lillian Oyer, invited me with her to come and speak on a panel there about the future of learning and AI. And so that really that 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 was the entrance. And so from there began this, I would say about six weeks experience of trying to figure out what is this place? How does it operate? How do I find lodging? How do I get there? Uh, you know, and kind of one quick summary. I'll say is it's just like this beautiful chaos. I think everybody associated with it knows that it's going to be a complete bleep show. Mm. You know, it just uh, but but it comes together and it comes together beautifully. So that's that's the answer to the question of, of how did I get there? I'm still sort of questioning that myself, but uh, it was through Ahura AI. That's really cool, and I I completely understand and can resonate with the the imposter syndrome. I've certainly you know dealt with that at, at different periods in my life, and. Even though you know you and I, we we have accomplished many things. I mean, you are a chief learning officer, right? Executive level in a company. You published a book. You've got a big network. As you said, something like the World Economic Forum seems to me like a a much higher echelon where you're thinking about like the most prominent politicians, musicians, you know, actors and stars and scientists in the world coming together to like solve the world's greatest problems. And yet, they need great minds like yours and like mine. I just looked it up, and it looks like. They usually have between two and three thousand people there. Did you get a sense? Did that feel about right? And you know, what was your sort of experience of the people that you encountered as you were at the World Economic Forum? I think this year there was three thousand people estimated. Although you can't really count because there's not a, a system for that. But it was it was packed. It was this beautiful little town Davos in Switzerland, about you know two hours from Zurich. Usually a sleepy town, but each time this, you know, that week, the third, I think third week in January or second week, everyone ascends. The world's global minds ascend on it, and then me. So yes, it was a, it was extremely busy. Yeah, we'll we'll count you among those. So <laughs> I, I read your report that you put together on this, and I don't know if you're going to be publishing it publicly or if it was meant just for, you know, friends and internal use. But if I look at some of what I saw in there, you said that there was there was kind of an official theme of the conference, right? And then there was sort of this like unofficial theme, which is, of course, the thing that everybody in the world has been talking about for the last year, which is generative AI and how that impacts economics and the world and jobs we're doing. And then there were some other themes that you you mentioned in addition to AI, the future of space and the evolving financial landscape. I'd love to dive into AI and what you saw and what you heard because you know for the last well I you know I mentioned I've been running this podcast for close to 7 years I almost ask every guest or I ask almost every guest about what trend they're following and excited about and there's usually all kinds of different things that come up. I don't think I've ever had anything like what we had in the last year where you know probably 29 out of 30 guests in a row said AI, right? Is that what is what they're paying attention to? It's the it's the biggest trend. And you and I talked a little bit about it last time you were on when you encourage people to dive in and 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 look at it because if we're not becoming more strategic in our roles in L&D, 
then our jobs, if we're order takers, are basically going to be taken by AI, right? Because this, they can do the order taking kind of quick training mm-hmm. things that people ask for. So I'm curious, you know, you already had a, an interest in that. What was your perspective, your experience, and and what you saw at the forum? Um, Mind blowing on multiple multiple levels. So let me just take a step back real quick. the The theme of this year was called rebuilding trust amid global challenges. And l- l- let me put this caveat. This is my experience. Anything we're going to talk about, there may be other experiences. Definitely. This, this is what I experienced. So what was interesting to begin with is the theme was only created about three weeks before the event. So everybody that was associated was like, what's the theme? What's the theme? Yeah. And then they, they announced, you know, rebuilding trust amid global challenges. If you look back at 2023, the theme for that year was cooperation in a fragmented world. Hmm. Those themes are very similar. Sound pretty so right similar. Bat, right. Yeah, my thought was like, okay, that that's not really original. And is that really what we're going to be focusing on? Yeah. What I can say is, I didn't hear much at all about rebuilding trust amid global challenges. That to me felt like a very safe theme. Yeah. And let me just kind of explain real quick the the way that it operates. There's there's three levels of you, if you will, of the World Economic Forum. There's the piece that everybody knows about, and that's called the Congress. The Congress is in this one specific event space. Very few people get access to it, maybe 300 people, global dignitaries, you know, world leaders, security to the highest level mm. before you can get there. That used to be the World Economic Forum. That's now 10% of what actually happens. And to me, everything I heard about that event, that's the safe space. That's the space that's on TV that the news reports on, and it's to right. me what I call sanitized. Mm. Then there's the next level, which is called the promenade. And the promenade is just that. It's a long street. It's maybe about two kilometers. And the entire street is emptied out. Every house on the street, every shop, every office on the street, and is taken over by companies or entities that have houses so think mm. like your frat your fraternity house yeah you know google has a house accenture microsoft my company ahora ai we had a house and so in those houses you host your own event and you can either have your own speakers bring in speakers rent out the space whatnot that's huh. where 60 percent of the action actually happens then the second, the third tier, rather, the rest, 30%, it's everything at night. You know, after 7, 8 p.m., that's where the real conversations happen. You know, gloves are off. People are really open and honest, and there's no press around. So you hear kind of the, the behind-the-scenes conversation. I'm going to share some of that hmm. um, with you. So that's kind of the, the, the three tiers. Yeah. So in, in terms of the theme, the theme should have been AI because that is what almost everyone was talking about. Right. And what I expected going in was that I would feel behind in the AI conversation and that these are going to be the people that are you know forward thinking and are right. telling us how the world's going to move. They've already they've already got chips in their brains and they're like uh they're in, completely immersed in it and we're just going to learn from them. Exactly. And that, that was my whole intention. My, you know, for going was yes to speak, but also I just wanted to be quiet and listen and learn. Yeah. yeah. And that way I could, you know, come back and talk about it and share to people who, who may not have had the opportunity to go. So what I'll say is there's two AI camps. There's 
the 10% of the population, which were the scientists, the geniuses, literally the creators of AI. You know, I spent time with David Hansen, who was the Sophia AI robot creator. You know, mm -hmm. Sophia is the first one that actually has uh, status in a country um, in, in the UAE, Saudi Arabia, I think. She's considered a citizen. So, you know, I got to spend time with him. So that's 10% of the people. Then you've got 90% of everybody else who's just like you and me. In fact, I would say you and I and probably our listeners are more experienced. I'm telling you that there were people who still weren't even using ChatGPT. Mm. There were sessions about how to use ChatGPT. Really? And my mind, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, not everybody here is using it. And then I would hear people talk about things like, oh, I wish there was a tool that could record these sessions and create summaries and themes. Like, what do you and mean? In my, head, in my head, I'm thinking, you mean like Copilot from Microsoft? Like yeah. not everybody here is using that? I've got right. it on my phone. Yeah. So I guess my, my initial statement is AI is still in the infantile stage. Yeah. yeah. And, and so if you're feeling behind don't worry, because a lot of people are still behind, even at this this dominating event where the world's leaders are coming together. Now, part of me was thinking, well, maybe just because they're at such an elevated status, maybe their teams are the ones that are using the the AI tools. But nonetheless, that was that was very eye opening. What was also reiterated often was I'm going to use a quote. It, again, this is an AI, I don't want to use names, but this isn't, this was an AI genius. And, and he said, we're all having this baby together at mm. the same time, all of us. And he kept saying, we are all pregnant. We are all pregnant and we need to love this baby. So it loves us. <laughs> and, and at first I thought, okay, that's, that's a little bit weird, but I understand, I think the direction that he's going because then another AI genius and founding member said the, the question in the discussion is not if AI wakes up, the discussion is when AI wakes up, right? Are we prepared for it? Yeah. And that to me was mind blowing that we're not having this discussion about if it could happen, but they're saying when it could happen. Now, mind you, could they have a biased perspective? Absolutely. But these, you know, the people up here at this level, that's what they're planning for is when AI wakes up. And so that conversation. And when you say, really sorry, sorry to just interrupt yeah, you. Yeah. When you say wakes up, I'm assuming you're referring to what some people call singularity, which is the the point in which AI, the technology and the intelligence of AI surpasses that of human intelligence. So a lot of people are talking about this as this sort of mysterious, like what's going to happen when we reach uh, so-called singularity and AI becomes more intelligent than humans and then can start learning and innovating on its own without a yes. need for us, right? And what's going to happen then? Absolutely. Exactly what it is. The singularity experience waking up. Mm. Which is, I think, kind of, it's frightening, right? And also like very interesting because that's something where, I don't know, you and I are around the same age when we were born. It seemed like something that would be like so far in the future, that like maybe our, you know, our, our long distances. Now it seems like it's definitely going to happen in the next few years. Like we are going to see it happen. I'm curious with all these experts there, did you get a sense that there was more fear than optimism more optimism than fear, just more curiosity of like, okay, we all just need to learn. Like you said, we know this thing's going to happen. We need to take care of it and love it so that it loves us back when it takes over. What, what was the kind of the sense of, of how people felt about it? The people that were there, it was optimism mm -hmm. and it was hope. 
And the message was, this is a good thing for humanity because there are many positives that are going to come out of this. It's going to create an, an equalization aspect because we're all, and this is their words, we're all going to have access to this same type of technology that can be used to make our lives better, that can create equality and equitability. Now, there's a whole bunch of, you know, if you unpack that, it's mm -hmm. like, really? Because half the world still doesn't even have the internet. Right. So how are they going to have access to this? But right. nonetheless, the, to answer your question, the message was optimism and hope, but they all recognize that the rest of the world is steer, still in this fear mindset. And that was kind of one of the messages was we should not be fearing this. And in order for us to not fear it, we have to educate people on it and people have to be using it so that they can. And that's the same thing you and I have been talking about. And you've talked about other individuals is that mm -hmm. even from an L and D perspective, we've got to be using this mm -hmm. right now so that we understand it. But to answer your question, it was hope and optimism, not fear. Yeah, well, that's really good to hear. I have a lot of optimism around it as well. I think you have to. I don't see the point in fear, like whatever happens is going to happen. There's a lot of things that are outside of our control, but, uh, you know, from a macro level, but on a micro level, like you said, we can start to play with and test and harness these technologies to do our jobs better, to do work on our teams and to avoid the risk of being, what's the word I'm looking for, you know, sort of passed, passed over, left behind right? When the technology does become smarter and smarter. So on that note, before we move on to more things from more economic forum, do you have any tips for people in talent development for what to do to, to start playing more with AI and, and incorporate more into the work you do? So I'm going to speak from my perspective. It, it, it's evolving so quickly and everybody has a new app and a new tool that it can be overwhelming. Focus on the basics. Start in my opinion, start with ChatGPT and become an expert in all of the functionality that it offers you. For me, I use it every single day. It's become uh, you know, my best friend. I have a joke with my partner and friends that, that ChatGPT is actually impacting my relationship. So I just call it G at this point. G. And the, the more that I can test it and try and break it and figure out what it can do, I run home to my partner and I'm like, oh my God, guess what G did today? And <laughs> my partner's like, are there three of us in this relationship now? Because yeah. you're talking more about G than you are about anything else. So the answer question is, it, start with ChatGPT, become an expert in it, figure out how to use it to support you, and then, then build on to all these other tools. And that way you feel less uh, like you're behind and less overwhelmed with, with all the different tools. Yeah. And AI is starting to be built into so many different tools that we use. For instance, I use Superhuman for email, has AI built into it now. I use Notion for all of my collaboration organization and my business has AI built into it now. So as I am planning out a workshop, for instance, I can just hit a button, you know, a space actually to, to get, bring up an AI prompt and say, Hey, give me a, uh, an outline for uh, a workshop on teaching growth mindset. And then it's going to give me a, a, an outline right away it's probably not exactly what I'm going to use, but it gives me a great starting point. And I go, okay, this is a good point. I do want to talk about that. Uh, this, we don't really need to talk about. The client doesn't care about that. And then start to build off of that. It's it's saving me lots of time. So I'm using that on a regular basis as well, just to get ideas. Even going back to you saying, oh, I got to figure out how do I get to Davos and what do I do there? I've started to use it for travel as well and say, hey, I'm planning a trip to Germany for these days with my family, what should I think about doing? And it'll it'll lay out an itinerary for you, ChatGPT. Uh, it's really cool to start to play with that stuff. Yeah, for me as a as a writer, and I use quotes because I, I'm, I, it's it's so hard for me to write. 
ChatGPT has revolutionized my life from a writing perspective to the point where like, I, I said the other day to my partner, my writing's too good. Like, mm. you know, and, and I said, I don't feel comfortable. And he reminded me, you know, people have had editors for years. You just, you have your own personal editor that knows yeah. you, your tone, your speak. And so it's, yeah, yeah I love it. One, one thing I want to emphasize and share that, that absolutely blew my mind was in, in terms of um, when AI wakes up, what that conversation was about, what type of rights is AI going to have when it wakes up? Mm. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, that is, that's so interesting. I've never really thought about it. But to be honest, I don't care. I, I, and I say this kind of, I don't know, being, being a smart, smart aleck, but the war in Israel, you know, we, we, we have LGBTQ members in Africa that get murdered for being gay. We have mm-hmm. women rights in the U.S. that are being taken away. We've got so many human issues, mm-hmm. human rights issues and crises. I am not concerned about <laughs> what type of rights AI has when it wakes up. Yeah. But that's what, you know, this level, that's what they're thinking about. And, they're, and, and you know, as I mentioned, Sophia the robot uh, currently has rights in Saudi Arabia. They're looking to have her get rights in more countries. And I'm thinking like, Weird. I don't even have rights yet in Canada, but yet <laughs> this right. AI robot has rights in Saudi Arabia, one of the most difficult countries to get rights in. Yeah. So that was, that was probably the biggest kind of like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that this is in discussion right now is rights for AI. And then what was interesting is they were they were saying AI needs to have social security because who's going to do the upkeep when it needs to have upkeep? So AI should be paid for its work and then it should have social security for its upkeep. That's very interesting. And I I totally agree with you. We have so many things, human problems to worry about with regards to rights and equality and you know people just getting access to to fresh clean water uh, it kind of right. reminds me i don't know a lot about this but a friend of mine went on a rant once and introduced me to this thing that basically like there's so many problems going on in the world that we need to solve and jeff bezos no judgment against him but he's like building a 10,000 year clock and putting it in a cave somewhere <laughs> and it's like how much money are you spending on this clock when we have people that don't have access to to clean water but everybody gets to spend money on whatever they want and obviously there's lots of things and issues that we still need to address but it, it kind of reminded me of that so there's there's this underlying theme going on with ai lots of people talking about it you've got the the congress which you can't get into these were like the the quote unquote official decisions are being made you've got the the promenade where there's a lot of different like houses and talks and panels and forums going on where there's sort of like official conversations going on around this and then you've got the the social events in the evening where people can kind of you know, let their hair down for lack of a better word, right? And 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 be a little yeah, more right, exactly, that. or or lack of what little they have, right? And kind of talk openly about different things that they're working on. Did you connect with interesting people there? Did you hear interesting conversations? I imagine there were some events you probably couldn't get into, but there were also places where you could hang out and and still meet interesting people. I did. Uh, I mean, I don't want to name drop, <laughs> but uh, you know, I was going to ask Sam. you who you who you saw, who you met, <laughs> Sam Altman. Wow. You know, uh, a couple of times. And that's, that's 
kind of the beauty about Davos is that once you're there, you don't really know who everybody is. And so yeah. you could have Jane Goodall behind you and you could have Sam Altman in front of you. And there's this kind of equalization experience because everybody has the same bathroom shortage experience. Yeah. Uh, there's a food, there's a food shortage experience. Sometimes there's, you know, a beds and sleeping arrangement experience. Like I knew extremely wealthy prominent people who were sharing beds in uh, uh, the, the ballroom of a hotel because that's how much shortage there is. So there's probably not many places to stay. Yeah. And for those that don't know, Sam Altman is the founder and CEO of OpenAI, which created ChatGPT, which is a multi, multi-billion dollar organization now. And there's a lot of it, a lot of controversy around him and the organization recently because he was let go by the board and then hired back. But he's pretty much agreed upon now are sort of seen as like the number one prominent guru in the AI space around the world. So interesting that you saw him there. Yeah. Uh, David Hansen, as I said, he's who's the founder, father of uh, Sophia, the robot. Brittany Kaiser was really an interesting conversation. Brittany is the one that took down Cambridge Analytica for the Facebook right. scandal. She's an advocate for owning your own data. Got to spend some time with Will I Am, who is brilliant. You know, fun fact, Black Eyed Peas was using AI back in 2008, hmm. and he was telling us this story and, and pulled out his phone and played the audio of the first time that he introduced Fergie to AI, and she freaked out about it. And she, and she was like, this is going to be the end of us. It's going to ruin the music industry. Yeah. And so it was interesting. And this is like in 2007 or so when that conversation happened. And if you remember in the lyrics from Boom Boom Pow, you know, we're, we're 3008, you're 2000 and late. He was talking about AI in that statement, basically saying like, that's how forward thinking we are as, you know, as black IPs, we're doing all these things that you haven't even thought about yet. And it was true. And he talked about, the question was, are, are you afraid that AI is going to replace you? And he's like, no, because AI will never have my heart. You know, it, it might be able to come up with different lyrics or mimic my voice, but it doesn't have my heart. I'm not worried about that. But what what I do advocate for is that I get to own all of my likeness. I get to own any of my audios in perpetuity. My family gets that. Like, you shouldn't be able just to create a bot to take my voice and my likeness and things like that. So those were those were some of the prominent prominent people. You know, I'm not bragging. I'm answering your question. What I want to say, <laughs> last thing about kind of AI is... You know, the consensus was, you know, AI should be embraced, should not be feared. And that here's what AI could do for us. And it could bridge that digital divide. It can, it has the potential to offer all of us equitable problem solving opportunities. So if you think about, you know, if, if everybody had at their fingertips the ability to solve their problems, what could that look like? And so there's this under underpinning hope that AI has a, potential for the force of being good. And it's very aspirational, I think, but also we still have half the world that doesn't have the internet yet. So we'll see. So that's kind of the, the theme on, on AI. Yeah. Um, what I can share real quick on, on, on space, which. Yeah. I was going to ask um, you, like, what did you hear about space? I hear it's the final frontier. So they used to say <laughs> in Star Trek days, right. But uh, what did you hear about the, the next level? And, and I'm curious how that might relate back to us in talent development who are developing people on earth. Okay. It's fun, funny that you kind of lead with that. So 
first of all, this conversation was one I never expected to be a part of. And, and to me, it seems out of this world, pun intended. <laughs> but the discussion on space was really about privatization and democratizing the space frontier. So mm. um, I spoke with the founder of Blue Origin and Voyager, both associated, or I think Blue Origin was associated with Bezos for yeah. a number of years. And what they're focusing on right now is less about commercial space exploration. That's kind of what we see or have heard about, like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, for, I don't know, a quarter million dollars, we can all buy a ticket to space. What they're saying now is they're focusing less on the commercialization of it and more on the privatization of it because they want to use space to serve Earth. Hmm. And that's a pretty deep statement uh, that I have a lot of mixed emotions about, like, who are we to try and conquer space to serve us? Right. But again, this is a conversation I have no business being a part of because I don't know anything about it. So Mm. what they were also saying was there's a a significant need for diversity and equity in space. Okay. So I think part of that, and here's what's ironic. The Martians Um, have been complaining about this for so long. (laughs) We need need a seat at the table here. Come on. (laughs) I think what they were saying, though, is that in the space discussion, they need more diversity and equity. Because let me tell you, everybody who's talking about space is not diverse. Right. It's a very white white male population. White male. Exactly. Yep. And so there needs to be more diversity in this discussion of space is where I think they were kind of going with that. You know, there's really this gap when you think about space equality and those who are kind of steering the rockets. Now, one, one company is sending DNA into space, and you can do this, I think, for about $100 or so. You can send photos, you can send whatever you want, and they put it into this rocket, and they send it into space so that at some, some point in the future, you know, aliens can find our DNA and, I don't know, do something with it. So the also underpinning theme was focus less on sending humans to space and more on spending robots to space so that they are the ones that can be doing the work and building the space stations and doing all this other stuff to help humans get there you know, quicker, that, that robots can just do this much better than we can. So they were saying, let's send more robots and less humans to space. One company was talking about they're sending 400 rockets to the lunar surface which is going to make us one step closer to privatized robotic space travel. Hmm. Uh, I don't know what, what kind of half that means. It's hard to but, wrap my brain around that one. <laughs> I know. The last thing they were saying on it is there, there's there's two camps in terms of who who's funding this. There's all this private billionaire money. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, well, how would you describe it? Um like commercial uh, companies that government, are government. Obviously, no, we have government. Obviously, we have government entities and related, right? Like NASA and JPL and things like that. Yeah, or de- I guess defense funds. Yeah, that's, that's the two camps. You have defense right. funds and you have private money. What's interesting is they're saying private money is not just going to be able to afford this. Like they're going to run out of money soon enough, and then we're going to have to focus on defense funds to dominate kind of the, the the space frontier. So they're saying there's like this this balance between exploring and, and commercial viability. So I thought that was interesting that that one of the comments was Silicon Valley is dead when it comes to space and it's going to need to be defense funds that help us continue to pioneer that frontier. Interesting. So that was that was interesting. And then I think the third theme was really around crypto 
And this is something, you know, I'm not that familiar with, but I thought it was interesting to learn about a little bit that they were acknowledging that, you know, in 2023, we had a lot of currency issues. We had a lot of banking stabilization issues, especially in the U.S., as we saw with a couple of the banks that that kind of went under. And so the, the message is still clear and, and has been like, this has been a resounding theme in, at the World Economic Forum for many, many years. So it wasn't a prominent theme because I feel like everybody there but me knows about the importance of crypto, which I have a story to tell you in a moment. So they're saying, you know, at the the core, we've got to continue supporting crypto to help stabilize the global industry because it creates equitability. It creates decentralization so that you have control over every single dollar that you have rather than the government, rather than you risking depositing it into a bank and then potentially losing it at, at some point. Right. Now, what I find most interesting about this conversation, because what I do know about crypto is that it is bad for the environment, mm. that there is extreme energy consumption. There's a massive carbon footprint. So what I thought was interesting is what you know, normally you hear at the World Economic Forum, a lot of like climate control and you know save the earth from that aspect. Yeah. Um, there were protesters there that were talking about it. And of course, Al Gore, Al Gore was there talking about climate control and a couple Mm. of others. But, you know, you've got maybe one house over here saying, hey, we've got to save the earth with the climate. You've got this other house saying crypto is the future. We've got to continue to consume energy and Mm -hmm. and increase our carbon footprint to make sure that we all have access to our money. So there's kind of this, this juxtaposition, which Ironically, again, carbon footprint. Why do you have this in a tiny town in in the middle of Switzerland, where yeah. people are flying their private jets, and it's a massive increase in carbon burning footprint. lots of fossil fuels to to get yeah. everybody there? Yeah, right? I saw there. that in your write up that like people care about the climate, and yet we're creating this event where everybody flies in. And I'm sure you can make the argument that like, hey, you know, we need to put get everybody in one place to have these conversations and and create innovations that will make a bigger impact than what we could save by having everybody zoom in or something like that. And this is just where things have been. And I'm sure you can make arguments on both sides. Same with crypto. I've been involved in investing in crypto for a couple of years now, and I've seen those arguments. And um, I think there's arguments the other way that, you know, the traditional banking industry actually has a much bigger carbon footprint and the things that they do. Um, you know, you can always see these. It's sort of like with electric vehicles, you know, people are quick to jump in and go, oh, I'm saving the environment. But then the other side will say, well, look at the batteries and what that does to the environment. You know, even though you're not burning fossil fuels, you still have these batteries that last a thousand years once you put them back into the earth. So there's there's always two sides to to all these things. And we got to figure out, okay, what's the best compromise and the best way forward for us? Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to share a quick story. Um, so what, one of the things with kind of my imposter syndrome and being there was I just wanted to kind of sit back and watch and help wherever I could. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up kind of doing like administrative tasks for some of these you know brilliant people. And one person pulled me aside. He said, hey, thank you so much for your help. I want to gift you something. Uh, pull out your wallet. And so I literally took out my wallet and he looks at me and he's like, well, no, no, your, your, your crypto, crypto wallet. wallet. Yeah. And I was like, I don't. I don't have one. And he's like, oh my God, this is absurd. He's like, uh, well, well just like, get one. I'm like, okay, how do I get one? And so <laughs> he's like walking me through an app to download, setting yeah. up my account and all yeah. of this. And he ends up gifting me um, some coins that are for Sophia, the, mm-hmm. the AI robot. And apparently there's 
and I don't know much about crypto, but apparently there's there's the Sophia verse and there's these coins. And mm-hmm. by gifting me these coins, he's giving me part ownership and making decisions, you know, in the future for her. And it was it was such a surreal emotional experience. I actually yeah. and I was trying to fight it, but I kind of had a tear. Mm-hmm. coming down my face because it was just I'm, I'm shaking while this this genius is trying to help me set up my crypto wallet <laughs> I have yeah. no idea what it means and he's, he's gifting me this this beautiful thing that I still have no idea right. what it means oh, some type of decision making with a robot AI robot yeah. that has, that has uh, citizenship in, in Saudi Arabia or something or UAE and you're like what is going on in the world right now where am I that has to be yes. a very, very surreal experience. Well, this sounds like an, an amazing experience. I appreciate you coming on to share. I'm curious as you, you know, come back to reality, you're back in Canada now, you know, getting back to work and you're thinking about the implications for the people in your organization and how you think about developing people and supporting them going forward. Any other takeaways that that come to mind that are especially relevant to people who work in talent development? Yes. Let me let me answer it maybe indirectly and then directly. So what I took away from this experience mostly is every conversation underpinned the fact that the future is about humanity. We're we're actually moving from the age of technology to the age of human, to the age of empathy, where compassion needs to take center stage. And for all of the I don't know, the the stuff I couldn't understand. What I could understand was there was a lot of discussion about heart and the overriding imperative that we need to evolve into being better humans, where there's more compassion, more empathy, more connectedness. It's not that, and no one said, you know, technology, AI was going to take over the world. It was, there's there's always going to be humans. And the problem that we face right now is less about technology and more about our lack of humanity. And so, you know, Davos for me really underscored that the greatest need and challenge right now is to elevate our human experience. And so when I think about what does that mean for me and for BDO and for us as a learning development industry, it's to continue focusing on that human experience, on that learning experience, on connecting us on creating cohort-based experiences so that we can learn together. We have relevance, we have contextualization, not to just look at technology, especially in L&D as solving all of our problems because it doesn't. Technology is an enabler. We still need to maintain that connectiveness, that empathy, that, that humanity. And so I left feeling very good about being a human and about the fact that we need to continue being human, even as technology and AI advances. Yeah. I love that. Elevating humanity and that there is a need and a challenge to elevate our human experience. And I think that's going to be a greater and greater need for our organizations to, for leaders to be more human, to treat their people as humans and really recognize and connect as humans as we elevate and are surrounded by more and more technology doing more for us. We are going to need more humanity, more connection. It reminds me, I don't know if I mentioned on the podcast, but the the Surgeon General of the United States released a report recently about the epidemic of loneliness that's growing Mm -hmm. in the US and around the world as people can do doing more and more from home using technology, but they're not really connecting with other people through community and organizations. And we in learning and development, talent development, I think we can help facilitate that and help create more communities and more connection. I definitely plan on 
finding ways that I can help and inspire more people with that in the future. And it sounds like you're going to be doing the same. So Keith, thank you so much for coming back on the show, for sharing your experience. This is really interesting. And I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to go. I'm glad I get a chance to live a little bit vicariously through you and, and hear your your experience, which of course is yours. Everybody else may have their own experience. I'm going to talk to another friend, as you know, this weekend who was there to hear what he thought about it. And I just can't wait to keep in touch and keep talking more about these things. So thanks again for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for creating the space and congratulations on over 450 episodes. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Marching on. And uh, for those of you listening, thank you again for listening. I hope if you've been listening for a while, thank you. If you're new to the show, welcome. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. We have Dr. Keith Keating scheduled to come join us as a guest speaker in the talent development think tank community very soon. Coming up on February 21st at noon Eastern time. So if you're not a member of our community, come join us. You can find out more information at tdtt.us and just click on community. You can also click on podcast there to find more and episodes, including the last uh, conversation that I had with Dr. Keating, episode 452. So go check that out if you haven't listened to already. And if you are a regular listener and you haven't yet left us a review, I'd love for you to go leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. All right. Thank you again for listening. Take care of yourself and try to inject a little bit more humanity into your working life. Cheers. Cheers.